Well, good evening again, church family. It's great to see you here tonight. My name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor, and it uh, really is great to, to end the Sabbath day by, by worshiping together. Today has been a big day in the life of our church. We had our, a public launching of our new service in Fairfax. Uh, why are we starting a new ser- service in Fairfax? Mainly because the kingdom, by its very nature, is, is always moving out, always moving out toward those who, who need to go know the gospel every bit as much as we need to know the gospel. And so as a church, we're not trying to build one big like Disneyland for Jesus here, kind of, yeah, right. We are trying to take the gospel out into communities that our entire region might be impacted by his grace and through this region, even the entire world. We believe that church is best when church is local. When you have, can have community with people uh, that live near you, who you can share your life with, and uh, when you're able to reach out in missions to those who, who you rub shoulders with, with every, single, every single day. And so our hope and prayer is that God will continue to use us here in, in McLean, continue to use our new service in Fairfax, and that together we might see him make a dent for his kingdom here in Northern Virginia. Tonight, though, uh, we're going to turn to John chapter 12. I invite you to turn there with me. John 12, if you take one of the church Bibles from the Pew Rack, you'll find this on page 899. Starting our Easter celebrations this evening by reflecting about Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Jesus' resurrection. Uh, We call this day Palm Sunday, and so today we're going to read about the first Palm Sunday, John chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 12 and read through to the end of verse 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, we're grateful to have a few moments together uh, in your word tonight. And I pray that uh, we ourselves would go after Jesus, that these moments would... Um, confront us once again with his love for us and its implications for our lives, and that we would be encouraged, even changed, as we understand its implications for us. These things we pray in his perfect and matchless name. Amen. So, you know, do you know that experience of missing the thing that, that's right in front of you? You can see something, but not really see it. So this happens almost every day in our house with a phenomenon that we call boy looking. You familiar with this? I open the fridge. Hey, baby, we, we don't have any milk in. 
we've got milk in. We, I bought milk like yesterday. No, honestly, I'm looking in the fridge and we don't have any milk in. And she said, no, trust me, I, I know that there's milk in there. And I say, honestly, I'm looking, there's no milk. Over she comes and miraculously I suddenly see the milk is in the fridge, right? Uh, boy looking, you know that phenomenon? You miss the thing that's right in front of you? I've been introduced to a whole new level of this uh, phenomenon, um, uh, see, you know, not, not, not seeing the thing that's right in front of you, uh, because I have been teaching teenagers to drive, okay? I have, um, I know I have three teenagers, I have taught two of them to drive, and it is, it is, it is an exhilarating experience. Um, we drive and I see, <laughs> I see all the things, okay? I see the cars, I see the dog, I see the ball, I see the child, I see the cop, I see the red light, I see, I see all the things. Um, my teenage drivers, they don't see all the things, right? Now, of course, they see them, literally, but they somehow don't quite see them. And, and yes, exhilarating is the right word. Nothing makes you feel so alive as the prospect that you're about to die, <laughs> you know? Um, it's possible to see things and not really see them. And that's what our passage this evening is all about. How we can see Jesus and yet still not really see him. So let's pick up our imaginations. Come with me. Let's elbow our way into the large crowd that's gathered in verse 12. Look down at verse 12 on page 899. It's an exciting time of year. People from all over the country have gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Now, this was just a special time in their religious calendar, kind of like Christmas or Easter would be special times in the church's calendar today. And this year, there's a particular intrigue or excitement in the air because a whisper has rustled through the crowd that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Now, at this point in Jesus's life, he's become a fairly well-known figure, partly because he taught with such authority. You know, when Jesus taught, people were always amazed. They didn't always agree with him, but they were always amazed. His, his teaching left a, a sort of imprint upon them. And not only has he been teaching with authority, but he's been performing miraculous signs. Wherever Jesus goes, blind people are able to see again. And, and, and the deaf are able to hear. And now the dead have even been raised. See in verse 18, we read the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. That's referring to the raising of Lazarus that has happened just, just one chapter earlier. Jesus had demonstrated that he has power even over death by calling Lazarus out of his tomb back into life. Now we can well imagine you raise a dude from the dead and there is gossip about you, right? Your, your name is now being known, and so this is where Jesus finds himself at this point. And along with these, these rumors, this sort of talk of his power, has now come the rumor that, that this Jesus, this man who can teach, this man who can heal, this man who can even raise from the dead, is, is going to be Israel's new king. That's the word that is spread. So in this crowd, we have great excitement, we have anticipation, there's celebration and this kind of uh, loud sense of, of eagerness as, as Jesus makes his way. Well, in verse 13, we then read that someone uh, who's sold on the idea that Jesus is going to be king has an idea. And basically the idea is, hey, let's prepare a red carpet for Jesus. Let's give him an entrance fit for a king, and that's what they do. They gather at the main road that takes you into Jerusalem, so imagine gathering at Constitution Avenue downtown. They take off their cloaks, we read, and they spread them out on the road. 
and then they cover the rest of the road with, with palm branches. They fashion this royal aisle and they split to either side so that Jesus can make this regal entrance into Jerusalem. Then we read that they gather, still in verse 13, more palm branches and start to wave them in the air. Now, this is a strange practice to us, but was a fairly common practice in Jesus' day. Simply waving a palm branch uh, was, a, was a sign of, of victory, a celebratory sign of, of victory. It was the way, you know, if, if your team wins the Stanley Cup, you have a parade and you celebrate. Well, similarly, if you were celebrating victory in Jesus' day, uh, you would gather with the crowd and you would wave these, these palm branches. So that's what's, what's going on here. A victory parade. And now, though, do you see the words that accompany their actions in verse 13? They start to cry out, Hosanna. Hosanna is just, it's a shout of adoration. It's a shout of joy. It's a shout of of praise. They follow their Hosannas with, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So the crowd, now we see, they're not just uh, welcoming him into Jerusalem. They're, They're worshiping him. This isn't just a celebration. They're hoping this is going to become a coronation. The people want Jesus to be their new king. Well, how does Jesus respond to all of this? Let's look at verse 14. His response is great. First of all, I love that he doesn't rebuke them for treating him as royalty. Why? Because he is royalty. Jesus is the king. In fact, he's the king of kings. But what he does next is is so unusual and so bizarre. And I love this about Jesus. If you're exploring Christianity, if you're just uh, learning more about the things of the faith, I really encourage, encourage you to, to read through the Gospels because Jesus doesn't do what you might expect. He's surprising. He's disarming. He always goes in a slightly different, different direction. He turns left when we expect him to turn right. You can't quite, quite pin him down, and it's, and it's beautiful. Well, and here we have another example. What does Jesus do? Well, having sent a couple of his disciples to find a donkey... He hops on and rides down this royal aisle to Jerusalem. Now, understand, this is a bizarre move, okay? You might be thinking, well, you know, maybe back in ye olde Bible times, kings rode on donkeys, right? In ye olde Bible times, kings did not ride on donkeys, right? Uh, what we would expect a king to do is, is to arrive in a carriage or to be carried in by servants or slaves, or at the very least, in Jesus' day, to, to arrive on a kind of appropriate mode of transportation, like a camel or something, right? But Jesus comes in on a donkey. Understand, this is the, the least impressive entrance in the history of unimpressive entrances. Um, a donkey is like a, a, you know, a beast of burden. It's a working animal. So this is like, imagine on next inauguration day, okay, the president and his family uh, coming down Pennsylvania on a tractor, Right? That's what's happening here. It's a bizarre, unusual scene. What, what is Jesus up to? Well, verse 15 explains. Look at it with me. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, see how that text is offset from the rest of the paragraphs there? It's offset because this verse is a quote. It's a quote from the Old Testament. So the first half of your Bible, the Old Testament written before Jesus came. Second half, the New Testament written after Jesus came. And this verse is a quote from one of the books of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. 
a prophecy that spoke about Israel's king, that Israel's king would come, but that the king would not be the kind of king that we would expect. Why? Because this will be a king who comes in great humility. And as a sign of this humility, Zechariah had prophesied, the king would come not in lavish splendor, but humbly riding on a donkey. And so, 500 years later, 500 years after these words were prophesied, Jesus comes to fulfill this prophecy. He's saying, yes, I am a king. Jubilation, coronation are appropriate, but I'm not the kind of king that you expect. And the donkey testifies to that. I've not come to lord it over you, even though I am actually the lord of all. I've not come to demand that, that you serve me, but I've, I've come to serve you all. Um, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many, in humility to love my people. He's a king, but he's not the kind of king we might expect. Now, the fascinating thing about our passage is neither the crowd nor the first disciples really understood this. The crowd, they saw him, but there's a sense in which they didn't really see him. See, they're waving their palm branches because they think that Jesus has come to bring them a kind of political victory. They think Jesus has, has come to lead a revolution, to bring political freedom to the nation of Israel, to end the foreign occupation that they have been living under, usher in a new era for the people. And they are delighted to have a, a figurehead to lead this charge, and they're happy to throw their, their own weight behind the cause. They saw Jesus, but they didn't really see him. They misunderstood what it was that he was all about. But it's not just the crowd. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 shows us that the disciples saw him but didn't really see him either. His disciples, you see it there, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and been done to him. It's a profound verse. Even the disciples, they saw him, but they didn't really see him. And it wasn't until after he'd been glorified, after Jesus had died, uh, risen again from the dead, and ascended back into heaven, it was only then that they realized what? That these things had been written about him, Zechariah 9, and done to him, John 12. Don't you just... I love imagining that moment of realization, <laughs> So, like, just imagine with me for a second, like, after, you know, after Jesus has gone back to heaven, and one of the disciples is sitting, kind of doing his devotionals, right? Let's, can we make it Bartholomew, because he never gets any attention, right? Bartholomew, sitting, doing his devos, okay? Working through the Old Testament book of Zechariah, and he hits Zechariah 9, verse 9. Your king is com coming, humble and mounted on a donkey. And just like that, the light bulb goes off. He starts to put these pieces together. And he jumps up and he spills his morning coffee and he rushes off to tell the other disciples, hey, do you remember that time Andrew was really grumpy because Jesus had sent him to get a donkey? And then Jesus did this really bizarre thing of like going into Jerusalem, sitting on this strange animal, and we all thought that was kind of weird, right? Rem remember when that happened? Well, look, Zechariah told us that this was going to happen. Zechariah prophesied 500 years before that, that this would take place. And it all goes to confirm what we've now come to know is true. Jesus is a king, just not the kind of king that we had thought. So here's my question for us tonight. If the crowd didn't see him, uh, if the first disciples initially didn't see him, 
I'm thinking there's a good chance that, that we might miss him too. You know what I'm saying? It's possible for us here in church to see Jesus, but not really see him. If you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian tonight, I want you to know that the purpose of Palm Sunday, the Sunday that we're celebrating today, is to let you know that Jesus is here, that Jesus has come, that love now looks you in the eye. And don't, don't miss the thing that's right in front of you. Don't see him, but not see him. See, on one hand, Jesus does come making some really, um, I think we could say hard, certainly exclusive claims. Jesus says, for example, I am the way no one comes to the Father except through me. You think there are many ways to God? Jesus disagrees. Now, one of the things, <laughs> um, I actually really enjoy this about the Bible, and I, I hope that if you're exploring Christianity, you'll be encouraged by this too, that um, the Bible is very upfront. It's very direct. There's no spin. There's no bait and switch. There's no fake news. You want to know what Jesus is thinking? He's going to tell you what he's thinking. And here's what he's thinking. I am the way no one comes to the Father except through me. There's, there's no way to make it to heaven outside of me. And it's powerful that he doesn't just say, he doesn't say, I know the way. He says, I am the way. He's not saying, hey, I know the way so I can give you the directions. So like do the right things and follow the rules and live a good life and you'll make it to heaven. That's not what he says. He says, I am the way. He's saying it is my death, my life, my resurrection that matter. You can't make it to God yourself. You can only be carried there by me. But I'm here, I'm here to carry you. I'm here, I'm here to carry you. See, alongside this exclusive claim, one of the things we celebrate about the gospel is that it is paradoxically um, radically inclusive in its exclusivity. What do I mean by that? I mean, no one gets to God except through Jesus, and anyone can get to God through Jesus. Jesus has come for uh, people who have lived supposedly righteous lives and people who have lived very rebellious lives. He's come for the people who've been successful and for the people who count themselves failures. Jesus has come for uh, those who have PhDs and those who have barely graduated high school. He's come for uh, the prostitutes and the professionals, the beautiful, the awkward. He's come for uh, the Jew and the Muslim and the, the, the atheist and the agnostic. He has come for the ENTJs and the INFPs, right? <laughs> Jesus will save anyone. He will save all of the above. He will save LGBTQ or straight. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus will save you. The gospel is radically exclusive. There's no way to be saved apart from Jesus, but it's radically inclusive in that anyone can be saved by Jesus. And the message of Palm Sunday is that this Jesus is here. He's here. He's, he's with us, we believe, by his spirit even now. And that he wants us to know of, of his love, and he wants you to know of his love, and he wants to forgive you of your sins. That you may not call yourself a Christian, but that you can begin to call yourself a Christian today. Today is a re great day to become a Christian. You can become a Christian just by saying, Jesus, I recognize I've not been perfect. And that's why you came, to forgive people like me. So forgive me. If you do that today, then you yourself can be sure that you will be carried to heaven by Jesus. Okay. Um, 
If you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, don't miss Jesus. He's right in front of you. See the thing that's there. If you would describe yourself as a Christian, two quick things uh, on this same theme, on not missing the thing that's right in front of us. The first one has to do with the book of Revelation. If you want to flick there, Revelation 7, verse 9, page 1032 of your Pew Bible. Because we're reading about the first Palm Sunday, and here today we're celebrating another Palm Sunday, but we don't want to miss the fact that they're just pointing us to the ultimate Palm Sunday, right? The first one and the one today are just pointing us to the one that is to come. See, toward the end of his life, John, who wrote this gospel, had a meeting with Jesus where Jesus pulled back the curtain of heaven to show him what heaven is going to be like, to give him a glimpse behind the curtain of what our eternity will, will look like in heaven with Christ. And so, in the book of Revelation, we read chapter 7, verse 9, after this, I, John talking, looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. I love when the Bible says things like that. Why? Because we can count really high, okay? We know all the numbers. And yet, this is going to be a crowd that no one can number, a crowd that's much bigger than the one that was gathered in John 12, a crowd that's much bigger than the one that we'll have gathered here today. Where does this crowd come from? From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. God's grace is ridiculously inclusive. It doesn't matter where you're from. You can be from Cuba or Kenya or Cambodia or Germany or Romania. You can be from here, from the U.S. of A. What is this crowd doing? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. In heaven, we stand in the very presence of Jesus. We meet not just with each other, but, but with him. Clothed in white robes, uh, Revelation tells us the robes are white because, paradoxically, they, they've been washed in his blood. Um, his blood makes us so pure, it's like we're white. Right? Then, you read it there, here's the point. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. <laughs> yeah, palm branches. Why? Because we're waving for a victory. We're celebrating a victory celebrating the gospel victory of Christ over death itself, that our eternity is not destined to die, but to live with him and God. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We have our own hosannas to sing. Here's the thing we don't want to miss today. Uh, We read about the first Palm Sunday today. We're celebrating Palm Sunday. Don't miss that all this points toward the Palm Sunday that is to come the eternal Sabbath of our souls, where every tear will be wiped and every wrong will be made right and we will be with God forever. See, if you remember this, Christian, never forget where you came from, okay? Never forget where we came from. That, that we came, Jesus found us at the bottom of the moral totem pole and saved us by his grace. Never forget that. But never forget where you're going either. Never forget where you're going. Eternity awaits Eternity with God and Christ and the perfection of heaven. And remembering that changes life for us here today. It gives us a bedrock uh, of of security and a hope that's so unshakable that we're enabled to persevere until we make it to that day. 
So you know I'm a big soccer guy, okay, I love soccer, and I DVR all of uh, Man United's games because they're, they're my team, right? Now, um, I watch all of these games, and sometimes, this is interesting, I'll even watch them if I find out the score, right? If we won, okay? So I won't watch a game if I know the score and we lost, okay? Because that's no fun. If I know that we won, though, I'll watch the game. And then I'll enjoy the drama, right? I'll enjoy going a goal down because I know, ha-ha, glorious victory is coming, right? Right, you see how, you see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Friends, glorious victory is coming. Glorious victory is coming. Heaven is coming. Where all wrongs will be made right and all our tears will be wiped. That is our future. That is where we're going. And that changes how we navigate the journey here today. The certainty of what awaits us transforms the experience of waiting to get there. So whatever struggle you're enmeshed in just now, it matters and it matters to God. And we want to take them and just put them in the eternal perspective. Not because that makes them unimportant, but because um, we're able to view them in their proper place. That's the first thing. Don't miss the eternal Sunday that's coming. Uh, Secondly, um, I can't not say uh, as we begin this Easter week that, um, hey, if we've seen Jesus, if if you're a Christian, if you describe yourself as a Christian and you've seen Jesus and you know that victory is is coming, um, let's invite people to, to join us in that celebration. You know, we only, the only reason we invite people here to church is so that they'll join us there. Like, I'm not, I'm not all that interested in just like, hey, let's gather a big crowd here. Like, what's, you know, that, that's not really what we're aiming for. We're not aiming for an earthly crowd. We're looking toward the heavenly crowd. And we only invite people here because we want them to join us there. We want our friends, our loved ones, our neighbors, our colleagues to be with us in that eternal celebration. And so to that end, we invite them to join us so that we may hear the gospel here on earth. Now, I know, we know, I know, um, inviting your friends to church can be daunting. And so here are uh, some practical tips from the back of last week's worship guide. Okay? Uh, still available online if you want to check it out. Three, if you're going to invite three types of people, here's, uh, here's, some, here's some practical tips. First of all, if you're going to invite those who know your heart, right? So those people in your life who you're really close to, your friends, your family members, uh, you know, people who, who you really have a, have a deep relationship with, our encouragement is invite them and just share your heart with them as you do. Say, hey, you know our relationship means a lot to me, and you know that I love you, and you know that that Christianity is important to me, so I'd just love for you to come and join me. You know, no one is going to be upset by that. No one minds being told that they're loved. And generally, people are happy to do something, you know, they love you too, and it's important to you, so they, they want to participate in that. Share your heart. Invite them to join us. What about those people who don't maybe know your heart, but the second category, they do see your actions? Maybe co-workers, maybe neighbors, our encouragement is for you to invite them and just to keep it light, to keep it casual. Ask them, hey, do you have, do you have plans for Easter? And then whether they say yes or no, invite them to our church. Right? Um, people are, are, are honored to know that you thought of them. They're grateful to know that you, you, cared, you cared to ask them. Um, that, that will be received, received well. 
third quick category, what about those maybe who don't know you as well? So they don't know your heart like your family or friends. They maybe don't even know your actions like your coworkers. Uh, people who don't know you as well, we're thinking of your gym buddies or uh, fellow parents at your, at your school. Our encouragement is invite them and just by, by asking questions. Hey, do you and your family celebrate Easter? Whether they say yes or no, invite them. <laughs> invite them to join us here. Because um, they might say yes. And in joining us here, they might join us there. Okay, quick story that I'm done. Uh, last weekend, last weekend we had um, our officer training retreat. So this is for our, our uh, new elders and our new deacons. And uh, we go away on retreat and we talk about the character qualifications to be a leader in the church. And we talk about uh, the roles and responsibilities of leaders in the church. And it's a really important time because we take leadership in this, in this church. We take that, take that really seriously. But one of the things we have our, our candidates do is share their own story of, of how they came to faith. Right? Share their, their testimony with the group. And one of the, the, the deacons just struck me so much because uh, he, came to Christian, he came to faith uh, a few, just uh, three or four years ago now. And his story is he came to our church because one of the other deacon candidates in that same class, in that same room, invited him to come. Now, hey, the first time he invited him, he said no. The second time he invited him, he said no. But the third time he invited him, he said no, right? Um... <laughs> And they have this great friendly relationship where they chipped away and he chipped away and he asked and he asked and he asked and eventually he said yes, mainly just to shut him up, okay? And guess what happened? He didn't anticipate that you can't just check this box because Jesus is here. And he came to this church and he met Jesus and his life has been changed. His life has been completely changed such that, you know, friends and family members would, were shocked that, to see the difference in him and to, that he'd be the guy now who's becoming a leader in, in, the, in the church. Um, it all started with an invitation that, hey, forget how much it's changed his life here. It means he's going to be a part of the crowd there. Yeah. If you know yourself, <laughs> I just feel pretty confident. If Jesus can save me, he can probably save anyone. And if you know that he saved you, just believe that he'll save others too. Believe that he'll save others too. And that he, he just might do that through our invitations. Starts with us. Make those invitations. Okay. Palm Sunday. Don't miss the thing that's right in front of you. Don't see Jesus and not really see him. If you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, you've got to see him. You've got to see him as your savior tonight. And you can if you would describe yourself as a Christian, remember the victory that's coming. Ready that palm branch of praise. It gives us the perspective that we need to persevere. And be praying about who you can reach out to invite to join us. Not so much so that they'll join us here, but so that they'll join us there. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for these moments together and the opportunity to uh, reflect upon the beauty of the gospel that we have been given and that we now carry around within us uh, gospel hope, gospel power um, in fragile jars of clay. But because of the victory that awaits, Lord, we 
might be afflicted but will never be crushed, might be perplexed but never driven to despair, might be persecuted but will never be forsaken, might be struck down but will not be destroyed because we carry within us the life of Christ. So would we be a people who enjoy this grace? It's a great thing to be a follower of Jesus. And would you help us also, Lord, we have people who, who extend this grace. As we think and pray this week about friends, loved ones, relatives that we could invite to, to join us here, would you give us opportunities and give us courage that we might have that joy and through that, even see them join us there. Pray it all in Christ's name.